Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm your fucking host, Ellen. And I'm your new fucking host, Carly. And let's fucking fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy. Harry returns to the castle sadder than ever before. Phineas Nigellus is left in disbelief at his great-grandson's death. Dumbledore comes back to his rightful place, but maybe he never left. The discussions in Dumbledore's office leave us in disbelief that there is no wizarding mental health care. Harry argues that Dumbledore doesn't understand how he feels about losing a family member, but we all know he does. Dumbledore, in both book and movie, tells Harry that he didn't tell him the information he knew because he was protecting him. The movie leaves us saddened and a little lost while the book continues for 15 more pages. During episode 186, Just the Gist, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts on the movie's less detailed version of why Dumbledore was ignoring Harry for his entire fifth year? Hi, Ellen and Carly. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the liberties the movie took about Dumbledore explaining to Harry why he was so sometimey this year? Well, they really butchered it. Don't y'all think... I really, really don't understand the rationale behind moving the locations. We already knew y'all wasn't going to make the portraits talk anyway. Y'all already gave the lines away. Y'all could have had that shit pop off in Demidor's office at least. At the very least. Gosh. Fuck what the movie did, okay? Oh, it was such a sweet moment in the book, though. Very, very sweet. I like Dumbledore for the reasons why why Harry liked Dumbledore. Oh, I just I just love it. Love, love, love it. Love their relationship. I'm glad that Dumbledore finally got over his little petty stage and learned, hey, we gotta do what we gotta do out here. If you find out it is what it is, we gonna murk him on sight. The squad is here. Period. But I also want to add, even though it has nothing to do with the pondering about Phineas Nigelis in Hogwarts Legacy. Love it, love it, love it. Hogwarts Legacy definitely stays true to his book. Bitch ass and this type of character. Little snotty, little aggravating, little assholey. Yes, yes, yes. A little snarky. Ah, love it so much. But yes, the movie fucking up per usual. Hey guys, Jackson here with my Potter Pondering. What do I think of the movie's shortened version of Dumbledore's explanation for ignoring Harry for the whole fifth year? What can I say that I haven't said about anything else that the movie's cut out? It's crap. We didn't get Dumbledore's regret. We didn't get his basically begging Harry for forgiveness for an old man's mistake. I mean, it's not as blatant as his begging for forgiveness in Limbo in Deathly Hallows, but it's still there. I mean, we didn't get any of that. We were built once again, and once again, I hate it. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter Pondering for this week. 
To be honest, the scene of Harry's grief and him throwing things in Dumbledore's office makes me cry while rereading the book more than Sirius's actual death scene. Because, like, I mean, you guys get why. But the whole part being left out tracks for this movie. Of course it was cut short. What else did we expect? They never do the rational thing or the thing that would please the fans. Dumbledore's explanation in the movie is the dumbest thing. They may as well left it out completely. Movie explanation was so short and impersonal, they really should not have done it at all if they couldn't do it right. The book scene was so sad and emotional and important and hinted at so much stuff that comes in the future books. But, you know, again, why am I shocked every time Yates butchers a scene? I'm always like, why would he do this? And it's like, well, the evidence is the entire movie. If I, we shouldn't be surprised at this point. Because when you only see the movies, all you think is, why did Harry like Dumbledore so much? But then you read the book and it's like, oh, that's why. Because you don't get the depth of their relationship and their connection in the movies. It's just not there. And that's really disappointing. Yeah, they... Eh, makes me mad. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, where does Dumbledore initially hear the prophecy? He hears it while interviewing Sybil Trelawney in a room above the bar at the Hogshead Inn. Congratulations goes to... Mike Riley! Yay! I set an alarm on my phone to make sure I remembered to post the episode to Facebook since Podbean is still not connecting properly, and Mike was right there, ready with the correct answer this week. This could be the start of a new streak for our record holder. Or maybe Kalista's gonna make a comeback. Or maybe someone new will get it first. You never know. For now, let's move into the second half of the book summary of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, Part 2. Dumbledore continues his belated explanation to Harry as to why he bears the majority of the blame for Sirius's death bringing up how Sirius told him about Harry feeling Voldemort awake inside him the night he had the vision about Arthur's attack. This information confirmed his worst fears, that Voldemort realized he could use Harry, so he arranged occlumency lessons with Professor Snape. Dumbledore pauses to watch Harry, before continuing to explain that Professor Snape discovered that he had been dreaming about the door to the Department of Mysteries for months. This is because Voldemort had been obsessed with it, since he got his body back, and his dwelling on the door caused Harry to as well. When they learned, through Rookwood, that only the people the prophecy is about can lift them from the shelves without facing madness, it became apparent that Voldemort would either have to get it for himself or have Harry get it for him. This made it ever more necessary for Harry to master occlumency, and Harry mutters his confession that he didn't because he never practiced. Feeling guilty, he tells his headmaster that he tried to check if Voldemort had really taken Sirius, using Umbridge's fire, and Creature told him he was gone. Dumbledore calmly tells him that Creature lied because he meant for him to go to the Ministry of Magic. 
Harry is shocked that Creature sent him there on purpose, and even more surprised to learn he'd been serving more than one master for months, since he didn't think he'd been out of Grimmauld Place for years. Dumbledore clarifies that the house elf took his chance just before Christmas by taking Sirius literally when he shouted at him to get out. Creature went to the only other black family member left that he had any respect for, Sirius's cousin and Bellatrix's sister, Narcissa Malfoy. Harry wonders how Dumbledore knows all this, and the headmaster informs him that he questioned Creature himself after Professor Snape got Harry's cryptic warning about Sirius. Snape also contacted Sirius himself, finding him alive and safe at Grimmauld Place. When Harry did not return from his trip to the Forbidden Forest with Dolores Umbridge, he became concerned that Harry still believed Sirius was being held captive and alerted the other Order members at once. Alistair Moody, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt, and Remus Lupin were all at the headquarters at the time and immediately agreed to help. Professor Snape requested that Sirius stay behind to update Dumbledore while he searched the forest. However, Sirius refused to stay behind and instead ordered Creature to fill in Dumbledore, which he did, all while laughing. Harry is upset to learn that Creature was laughing, and Dumbledore continues to share details of the situation. Creature was not able to tell any of the confidential plans of the Order, but he was able to tell Narcissa things about Harry that Voldemort found very valuable, such as Harry being the person Sirius cared more about than anyone else, and that Harry was beginning to regard him as a mixture of father and brother. This gave Voldemort the idea to use Sirius as bait. On his orders, the Malfoys had Creature keep Sirius out of the way in case Harry decided to check on him after he had the vision of him being tortured. Creature injured Buckbeak, and Sirius was upstairs tending to him when Harry made his appearance in the fire. Harry can't believe Creature shared all this information while laughing, and Dumbledore says that he is accomplished in legilimens himself and persuaded him to tell before leaving for the Department of Mysteries himself. Harry brings up how Hermione kept telling them to be nice to Creature, and Dumbledore agrees, telling Harry how he warned Sirius that the elf needed to be treated with kindness and respect because he could be dangerous. When he says that he doesn't think Sirius took him very seriously, Harry's anger flares again, and he struggles to tell Dumbledore not to blame Sirius, calling Creature foul and a liar. Dumbledore cuts Harry off to point out that Creature is what he has been made by wizards, with an existence as miserable as Dobby's, forced to do the bidding of a master that he has no loyalty to. When Dumbledore starts to say that Sirius did not make it easier for the elf, Harry finds his voice and begins yelling not to talk about Sirius like that. He gets to his feet and brings up how Snape merely only sneered at Harry when he told him Voldemort had Sirius. Dumbledore reminds Harry that Professor Snape had to pretend to not take Harry seriously in front of Umbridge and that he did inform the order as quickly as possible. Plus, he was the one who realized that he hadn't returned from the forest. In addition to that, he gave Umbridge fake Veritaserum when she was attempting to question Harry about Sirius's whereabouts. Harry disregards this, instead complaining about how Snape was always goading Sirius and made him out to be a coward. 
Dumbledore figures that Sirius was too old and clever to care about feeble taunts, so Harry then brings up how Snape stopped giving him occlumency lessons and threw him out of his office. At this point, Dumbledore does concede again that it was a mistake for him to not teach Harry himself, even though he was concerned that it would have been more dangerous for him to open his mind in his presence. Harry tells Dumbledore that his scar always hurt worse after lessons with Snape and wonders if he was just trying to make it easier for Voldemort. Dumbledore implicitly states that he trusts Severus Snape, but admits that it was another mistake to think that Professor Snape could overcome his feelings about Harry's father. This makes Harry yell again, questioning why it's okay for Snape to hate his father, but not for Sirius to hate Creature. Dumbledore explains that Sirius did not hate Creature, but regarded him as a servant unworthy of much interest or notice, and indifference and neglect can do much more damage than outright dislike. Wizards have mistreated and abused their fellows for too long and are now paying for it. Again, Harry yells, asking if he's saying Sirius deserved what he got, but Dumbledore quietly denies this. He says Sirius was not a cruel man and was kind to house elves in general, but held no love for Creature because of his ties to the home Sirius hated. Harry walks away from the headmaster at this point, agreeing that Sirius did hate it and he made him stay shut up there. Dumbledore says he was trying to keep Sirius alive, and Harry turns back towards him to yell about how people don't like to be locked up, and he did it to him all last summer too. Dumbledore closes his eyes and buries his face in his hands, and the sign of weakness only makes Harry angrier. The headmaster then lowers his hands and looks back up at Harry. He says that it is time he tells him what he should have told him five years ago. He asks him to sit down and for patience to tell him everything, then Harry can have his chance to rage at him and he won't stop him. Harry stares for a moment before flinging himself back into a chair and waits. Dumbledore begins the story with Harry's arrival at Hogwarts five years prior, safe though not as whole as he had hoped, since he knew he would suffer during the ten dark and difficult years he was condemned to at his aunt and uncle's. He explains that he had to leave him there, rather than with a wizarding family, especially since many of them would have been honored to raise him as a son. His priority was to keep Harry alive, since he was still in more danger because of Voldemort's supporters that were still at large. He also didn't believe Voldemort would be gone forever and upon his return wouldn't rest until he did kill Harry. He knows how powerful and knowledgeable Voldemort is, but also knows his weaknesses. This led to Dumbledore deciding to use an ancient magic that Voldemort knows of, but despises and therefore always underestimates to his own cost. He explains that the protection comes from the fact that his mother died to save him, so he put his trust in her blood and delivered him to her only remaining relative. Harry interjects to state that his aunt doesn't love him or give a damn, but Dumbledore replies that she still took him and that sealed the charm he placed on him, using his mother's blood and making that bond of blood the strongest shield he could give. Harry still doesn't quite understand, and Dumbledore explains that while he can call the place with his mother's blood home, he cannot be touched or harmed by Voldemort, since her blood lives on in Harry and his aunt, making her blood his refuge. 
it's a really long book section to not get included in the movie at all. There's so much imperative detail that they just decide to leave out. Just We're not even really going to have this conversation. It's just a joke. Yeah, we got a sentence. Last week, we talked about a sentence that kind of fit into here. <sighs> and we did get an edited version of the prophecy, which we will get to. Yeah, the really extreme-lined version of this prophecy is just you leave out so much important detail if you just hear it in the movie it doesn't make logical sense yeah the part that they left out is just kind of like oh that really clarified that wonder why they didn't do that but we'll talk about it when we get there yes we actually could have included a little more of this chapter in last week's episode because apparently we can't talk about 15 book pages within an hour-ish time limit so we just ended up deciding to split the second half of chapter 37 into two parts as well. So now we have the first half and then part two and three. It's a little awkward because it puts last week's trivia answer into next week's episode instead of this one, but it mostly works. So this half of the chapter, or like I said, it was more like two thirds of the chapter almost. It was long is now actually being split into the thirds. Starts off as Dumbledore continues to explain to Harry why it's really his fault. Not completely his fault, because Sirius does bear some responsibility for his choices, but Dumbledore is taking a lot of it because there's shit that he should have told Harry that he didn't. Yeah, like five years ago, should have told Harry. Maybe put it in the letter so that Petunia and Vernon could have explained it to him sooner. Not that they would have. But anyway, he mentions how Sirius told him about Harry feeling Voldemort wake up inside him, which sounds kind of dirty now Gross. that I realize what I wrote. But you didn't write it. J.K. Rowling wrote it. <laughs> well, summary wise, I don't know if it was worded exactly like that now, but... Probably was. Anyway, the bit of Voldemort's soul, that connection that they have, kind of woke up. Or Voldemort became aware of it the night that Harry had that vision about Arthur's attack. I wonder why specifically it was that night that started everything. Like, what was different about that? I wonder if it was just because of the intensity of what happened. Harry's emotions were actually noticeable because he just watched Mr. Weasley get attacked. Does Voldemort find out about the connection later because of how they end up finding Arthur? Maybe, but he shows up inside Harry. Harry feels that snake welling up within him when he makes eye contact with Dumbledore before all that's really, really gone down. That's true. Yeah. So, so I think this because of the intensity of what was happening, Harry's emotions must have been strong enough in that moment that Voldemort was like, who the fuck has these feelings? I don't have these feelings. Maybe it was Nagini. She was like, yo, something's going on. Maybe. That's where they were. They both were. It's too small to have three people in there. My God. His souls might not be that big. It's more of an Whoa. abstract concept. I know. Anyway... Hearing that from Sirius is what confirmed for Dumbledore that what he's been worried was going to happen is in fact happening. And now he's just like, all right, Professor Snape, you need to teach Harry Occlumency because I'm the headmaster and I delegate. At least that's how Snape explained it. 
in reality, we know why. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Dumbledore kind of pauses at this moment and just watches Harry to see if he's going to say anything. But he doesn't. So he just continues on his little story here saying how Professor Snape found out that Harry had been dreaming about the Department of Mysteries for months and explains that this is happening because Voldy's all obsessed with it. So since that's where Voldy's dwelling, that's where Harry's dwelling, especially when his mind is weakened while he's sleeping. I think that in this moment, one where Dumbledore keeps saying Professor Snape, which is, but whatever, have some respect for Snape, I guess, but I don't. But Snape gets mad at Harry for like not telling them about the dreams that he's been having. And I'm like, how's this boy supposed to know? Like, he just thinks he's dreaming about some random door. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. Nobody's telling him anything. So the information that he gets is just like, ooh, interesting. And, you know, Harry, he meddles. He needs to know. When it's right there in his face, he can't not know. You're obviously connected to Voldemort, because why would you be having this dream? Like, dreams are so you-specific, consciousness-specific. Like, you don't really control what you're dreaming about. So I think it's kind of a strange thing for Snape to be like, you should have known that these were you being connected with Voldemort. That's my personal take. Well, I think that Harry did know, and he was glad like he wanted to know he wanted to be in the know and no one was telling him anything so he was never going to give up these dreams that's fair yeah like i said he has to meddle he needs that information the powers that be won't tell him so he's going to get it how he can get it and it is through these dreams is there a nosy house because harry should be in that i'm pretty sure that's still just gryffindor (laughs) that's fair have you met me I don't like to be involved in drama, but I like to know about the drama. I definitely like to know about it. Anyway, some of the information that he gets through the dream comes from being in Voldemort's mind when he's talking to Rookwood. And Rookwood is the one who is able to let Voldemort know that nobody else was ever going to be able to go grab that prophecy for him. The only people who can are the ones that it's about. So now Voldemort is left with this realization that either he has to get it or he has to get Harry to get it for him. And because he can't do anything the easy way, he has to overplan everything. So there's more opportunities for failure. He comes up with this huge, big, elaborate plan to trick Harry into going. From Dumbledore's perspective, this just means it's more important for Harry to learn occlumency. Which Harry's just sitting there like, yeah, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, I didn't practice. Like, ever. (laughs) Willingly admitting to your teacher that you didn't do your homework. And he feels a little bit guilty about this. Because if he had, maybe none of this would have happened. I don't think he, in this moment, should feel bad about it at all. Because Snape was not the right person to teach Harry Occlumency. No. And Dumbledore even flat out says that. And he's also taking the blame because he's like, I didn't tell you anything. I should have told you something. You should have known all of this so you wouldn't have been fooled. But you try not feeling guilty about something that's hurting you. Like, yeah, easier said than done. And in this attempt to kind of alleviate some of that guilt he's just like well i did try to go talk to sirius first we went into umbridge's fire but creature told me he was gone (laughs) i like the way that you did the whiny (laughs) hair 
in my head, that's how that happened. Yeah, probably. Dumbledore fills him in on this aspect, too. He's like, yeah, creature lied. And Harry's like, what? Creature lied? I didn't think house elves could lie. And Dumbledore reminds him that he's not creature's master yet. But Dumbledore points out that creature does not owe any loyalty to Harry. He was just some dude that was living in the house that summer. So he was able to lie to him. Dobby lies to the Malfoys frequently. So I think this is kind of a strange add-in that they can't lie to their masters. They obviously can if they take time to punish themselves afterwards. Well, that is also just Harry's perspective of it. Because Harry's not a Ravenclaw. No. (laughs) I think that may have just been like wires crossed in Harry's little non-Ravenclaw brain. But anyway, like I was saying, Dumbledore told him the creature lied because he wanted him to go to the Department of Mysteries. And Harry's just like, why would he want me to go there? This is very surprising to him. And then it gets even more so surprising when he learns that Creature has been serving more than one master. And Harry's just like, how could that be? He hasn't left Grimmauld Place in years. Harry's really showing his 15-year-old self here. Yeah, I mean, he is 15. So Dumbledore has to explain that he took his opportunity back before Christmas when Sirius yelled at him to get out. He was just like, I'm going to take you literally and I am going to get out and I'm going to go somewhere else. And he found the one relative left in the black family that he had any respect for at all because they are also shitheads. So he says Narcissa in this moment, which is strange to me because is she the only one that he has respect for? Why does he not have respect left for Bellatrix? Because when you were reading that earlier, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I kind of wonder if maybe in all of Bellatrix insanity she was always shitty to him until there's something in it for her then she yeah. starts because creature says something like miss bella and miss sissy were so nice to me or something yeah. or maybe he didn't know that bellatrix was out of the ban at that point yeah i mean because he had been in grimald place for what 10 15 years at this point so he maybe would not have known that yeah, yeah a long ass time But that's where he goes. He goes to the Malfoys. He finds Narcissa. This is Sirius's cousin, as we learned before. Bellatrix's sister. He finds them both there, as we do learn later. And Harry's just sitting there like, how the fuck do you know all of this? I'm Dumbledore, dude. Dumbledore. Omniscient door. Right. Omnidor. (laughs) Anyway, aside from his powers of all-knowing, he just flat out asked him, That's how he knows. Professor Snape let him know what was going on with Harry after Harry gave him that cryptic warning about Sirius. And then Snape also contacted Sirius himself because the orders have a much easier way of communicating with one another rather than breaking into Professor Umbridge's office to use her fire illegally. Well, they're also adults, so it's a little easier for them to use some sort of magical contact. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even though Harry did have a way to contact Sirius, we'll get to that one later. It's still so annoying. Yeah. I don't think he had opened it at this point. No, he had no idea what it was. Completely forgot about it, even when he sees it later. But we'll talk about that. So anyway, Snape contacts Sirius, finds him alive, still at Grimmauld Place, is like, okay, all is good. And then notices that Harry never comes back from the trip to the Forbidden Forest with Umbridge. So he's just like, well, shit. 
Harry probably thinks that Voldemort still has Sirius and he's about to do something stupid because Harry. And again, he immediately contacts the Order to let them know what's going on. For people who don't know, I really hate Snape. I think he's a really terrible person. He's a terrible educator. He doesn't give kids equal opportunities to do anything. He also knows everything that happened to Neville in Neville's life and still chooses to bully him. But in this little teeny tiny moment, I have a little bit of respect for him that he is trying to protect Harry. Yeah, we've had this conversation before in our patron group chat and such. So, you know, my standing on this, I have a lot of sympathy for the child Snape. There's so much trauma there that led to him being the horrible teacher and a horrible person that he can be. But he really does have moments where you can see what he would have been capable of being had he led a different life and had better influences because he'd turned to the wrong people to get away, to escape from everything that he dealt with, he turned to people who made him worse. Whereas Harry at least had people to turn to that helped him continue being better. So did Neville. How very Anakin Skywalker of him. (laughs) Well, there is a theory that Voldemort, Snape, and Harry are all, like they're all the same person at the beginning and all of their choices have made them into different people. Obviously, they are different people. But Harry is if you choose the path of good always. Snape is if you choose the wrong path at first and then decide to change midway through. And Voldemort's if you just choose the wrong path completely. And that's a really interesting thought process because if Snape's mom had been a little more loving, caring, able to stand up for herself, against his father or if his father just hadn't been shitty well that too but i also think that about dudley i think that if vernon hadn't been the way that he had been i think petunia probably would have been a pretty decent person for them to be raised by i think vernon is most of the shittiness in that household oh i agree but i also think that petunia sought that out because it was such the opposite of what she was trying to escape from herself Do we regret our choices, Petunia? I think she does a little bit, but this will kind of come up towards the end of the section. So we can talk more about that then. Anyway, Snape alerts the order and it's Alistair Moody, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt and Remus Lupin who are at the headquarters when he does so. And they're all like, we're on it. Let's go to the ministry right now. We're going to help Harry. Snape requests that Sirius stay behind. So there's somebody there to tell Dumbledore what's going on. And it can't be him because he wants to go search the forest just to make sure that Harry's not in danger in the forest. And that's just why he hasn't come back. And Sirius is just kind of like, fuck that. I'm going like I'm not going to sit at home in safety while my godson's potentially at danger. And he just delegates the task to Creature, which is how Dumbledore ended up in the position to question him. I think that that is a really big request of Snape to just be like. Hey, I know your godson's in peril, but, you know, just stay here and chill, dude. Yeah, you know, he took pleasure in asking him to do that. I know that. But at the same time, you gotta know he's not going to actually do it. It's his, I mean, it's the same situation that Snape is in. He has said that he is going to protect Harry no matter what, for whatever reason. That's also how Sirius feels, except Sirius actually has some sort of loving attachment to Harry. Yeah, 
I think he just really wanted to be like, you know, Dumbledore ordered you to stay at home. Ha <laughs> ha, coward. Because he's kind of a douche. He's not kind of a douche. He's totally a douche. 100%. So when Dumbledore is questioning him and using legilimens to get all of this information out of him, he learns everything. But Creature is laughing while he's sharing it. And Harry's like, what the fuck? You're a horrible creature creature (laughs) this is one of those things where i think that if harry had grown up in the wizarding world he maybe would have a little more respect for how creature has i know he understands like because he saw how dobby was treated but i also think he kind of doesn't understand like you don't get it he has so much trauma and he's just living through it he is a crazy critter right now yeah and i think that Maybe if Harry weren't going through what he was going through, he may have had a little bit more empathy for that. But right now he's just like, he laughed. He set this all up for my godfather to die and he laughed. So he's not really feeling the sympathy for him at this point. And it's still only like an hour out since Sirius died. Yeah, no, this is very fresh. It stings a lot. So on the plus side, because of the house elf code, Creature can't actually share any of the super confidential stuff that he was like specifically told not to tell. But there are plenty of things that he was never banned from telling that were very useful to Voldemort that became the basis for this entire over elaborate plan because he shared with Narcissa that... Harry was the person Sirius cared more about than anyone else. And that Sirius was starting to take on the role of like father and brother for Harry. It wasn't like full father figure, but definitely a familial filial bond happening. I would describe it more as friend and father rather than brother and father. But uh, it's just... To have a connection with somebody that had a connection with your parents, you never got to meet your parents. And there's this person here that has so much information about your parents and loved your parents. And you get to spend time. Yeah, that I mean, he had that nice familial bond building with Sirius. But of course, Harry doesn't get to keep anything nice ever. No, Harry can't have nice things, especially not with Voldemort in the picture, because he is like, oh, I can use Sirius as bait. Harry is totally the type. Look at these past times I've faced him and every single time he's gone in to save somebody else. I'm going to use Sirius as bait. But not for real, because getting Sirius out of Grimmauld Place would have been impossible. So he just has to make Harry think he got him out of Grimmauld Place. And he has the Malfoys order Creature to keep Sirius out of the way just in case Harry decides to check on Sirius's whereabouts. Which creature does so by injuring Buckbeak. What did he do to Buckbeak? I like maybe just, I don't know, stabbed him or something. I I hope it wasn't super serious, but it was enough that (laughs) super serious. It was enough that Sirius had to go tend to him. So he was up doing that when Harry appeared in the fire and creature was right there to intercept and be like, no, master's gone. Sucks to be you. To be fair, Creature didn't technically lie because all he said was he's not here, which could have very easily meant he's not in the kitchen. He did full on lie, though, and say Master will not come back from 
the Department of Mysteries. Which ended up being true, so maybe he just had a little bit of foresight. Who knows? <laughs> maybe Creature's a seer. After Dumbledore's finished questioning him, he heads to the Department of Mysteries himself, and Harry's just kind of in shock. And I think that what he says next is sort of a dual meaning. I think there's part of him that's like, Hermione kept telling us to be nice to him. And I think that he's saying it because he's like... Why would we be nice to him? He's horrible. He's clearly horrible. He just did all of this and laughed. But at the same time, Dumbledore's like, Hermione was right. I tried telling Sirius that too. He could be dangerous, but he didn't think Sirius really took that seriously because he never was really nice to him. He was pretty indifferent. He was, I don't know that he was ever completely horrible to him. But he wasn't kind at all. Hermione is proved 100% right in this fact in the seventh book. Because at first he's like... Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, and then by the end he's a completely different elf. Which we'll talk more about when we get there. Yeah. We got a couple books. But anyway, Dumbledore is talking about Sirius not taking it seriously. And this makes Harry pretty angry because now it sounds like he's blaming Sirius and saying that he deserved to have this happen. This is what he calls Creature foul and a liar because all he can see is what Creature did and he's not taking any consideration for what Creature was made to be by the way he was treated. Creature's too small to be a harp, so of course he has to be a liar. <laughs> Dumbledore does raise the point that his existence is just as miserable as Dobby's because he's forced to serve a master that he has no loyalty to. And Sirius didn't really do anything to make it easier on him. So this is what really sets Harry off. And he starts yelling about not talking about Sirius like that and then tries to deflect and Basically, instead of shit-talking Sirius, let's start shit-talking Snape, okay? He only sneered at me when I told him that Voldemort had Sirius, and Dumbledore is like, Harry, I know you're not a Ravenclaw, but even you know that Snape had to pretend, I'm sorry, even you know that Professor Snape had to pretend like he had no idea what you were talking about in front of Professor Umbridge. Dumbledore also points out, like you said, Regardless of how you feel about Snape in this moment, he did immediately contact Sirius. He did immediately alert the order and he himself went to go search for Harry in the Forbidden Forest. On top of that, he was also supplying Umbridge with fake Veritaserum so she couldn't actually drug the kids to question them and take away their rights. Well, that's one thing, I suppose. That's something. <laughs> Woo. Doesn't exactly tip the scales back over, but it is something. Harry doesn't really consider it anything, though. He just completely disregards it because it does not suit the narrative that he wants to feel towards Snape right now. I think in this case, feeling the anger towards Snape is taking some of it off of himself. He's looking for somebody to blame other than himself at this point because it hurts. And I understand why Harry is blaming himself, but... At the same time, I think the person we need to be blaming is somebody whose name rhymes with Boldedort. <laughs> oh, moldy boldy. 
But like I said, Harry is just not wanting to hear it. So he starts talking about how Snape was always goading Sirius and calling him a coward. And Dumbledore's just like, Harry, Sirius was far too old and clever to really care about shit like that. And I'm like, was he though? He was too old in age, in maturity. He stopped at 21 when his best friends died. Yeah. Definitely too clever. But maturity-wise, he definitely let those taunts get to him. He absolutely did. But to be fair, Snape made them to begin with. He knew what he was doing. I mean, I think especially for anybody, I mean, when we were locked down for COVID, if somebody had been jabbing at me that they got to get out of the house and go, like, to Disney World or something, that would get old. Yeah. And it wouldn't be fun. And I am... Not saying that I'm more mature than everybody else, but, you know, like, I feel like I'm probably more mature than Sirius is at this point, And I still feel like it would eventually, after a while, get to you, especially as often as Snape was doing it. And to be fair, you weren't locked in Azkaban for 12 years. True. Very, so. very true. And then have to go and stay in a house that I don't like. My house is very comfortable for me. So it's still shitty and i think that that's kind of a dumb excuse for dumbledore to use yeah i don't think he fully thought that one through and for all we know sirius played it totally cool when talking to dumbledore since none of this is working to turn dumbledore against snape harry's just like yeah well he threw me out of his office and stopped giving me occlumency lessons and at this point dumbledore's just like okay well (laughs) Talk about emotional immaturity. I was definitely wrong there. I should have absolutely just taught you that myself. I was just worried that having you open your mind to Voldemort in my presence would make it more dangerous for you, which I think is valid. But at the same time, with Dumbledore right there, what's he really going to do? I feel like the risk would not outweigh the reward in that scenario. And you just need to do a risk analysis there, sir. Also, maybe if they were doing occlumency lessons together, he could have given Harry more information instead of ignoring him all year. But as we know, this is Dumbledore's downfall. The constant downfall of a Dumbledore. Not enough information. Yeah. Harry then shares that his scar always hurt worse after occlumency lessons with Snape. And he suggests that maybe Snape was actually trying to make it easier for Voldemort to get in his mind. Because he definitely had more dreams after nights of occlumency than he did otherwise. And his scar hurt more. But Dumbledore is just like, no, I trust Severus Snape, period. Period. (laughs) Now, as an educator, and I'm hearing... Harry say these things. I'm like, Brosif, listen to your teacher. He's telling you that he trusts this person. I'm always a go with your gut kind of person, but Harry hasn't grown up in a scenario where his going with his gut is always going to be the best thing. So I think right in this moment, he needs to listen to Dumbledore and take it in. Like you don't have to like the guy, but At the very least, you know that Dumbledore trusts him. So maybe just back the fuck up a little bit. 
Yeah, doesn't really work like that, though, because Dumbledore does admit that it was another mistake of his to think Severus could overcome those feelings about Harry's father. Everybody in this series is emotionally immature. Yeah, because they don't have therapy in the Wizarding World. Ah! But this sets Harry off again. He wants to know why it's okay for Snape to hate his father, but it's not okay for Sirius to hate Creature. And there's definitely a balance of power here that's maybe needing to be talked about. But Dumbledore just says, the problem is Sirius didn't actually hate Creature. Sirius nothinged Creature. And in a lot of cases, that can be worse. And at this point, the creatures and beings and whatnot that wizards have viewed as beneath them, I'm saying that with air quotes, have been mistreated and abused for so long that it's actually starting to bite them in the ass now. I feel like it's not just starting, though, because Harry and Hermione talk about how many goblin rebellions there have been, like... They think goblins are trash, which is insane because goblins apparently have some sort of magical way to make armor and they made Godric Gryffindor's sword and stuff like that. They have all this magic that wizards don't have. Like, I think that one magical creature is beneath you or one magical humanoid is beneath you just because you somehow are the one that is in. I mean, they're probably not the majority. They're probably the minority. A lot of times those kind of people are the loudest ones. I mean, consider the fact that there are people who actually believe other people are beneath them. Uh, Yeah. Regardless, saying that they're paying for it now makes Harry think that Dumbledore is trying to say Sirius deserved it. And Dumbledore is just calmly and quietly denying it. He says, no, I did not say that. And I would never say that. Sirius was not a cruel man and he was kind to house elves in general, but he had no love for Creature because it was just this constant reminder of a house that he hated. And Harry's just like, yeah, he did hate it and you made him stay shut up there. And Dumbledore's just like, yeah, because I was trying to keep him alive. And Harry's just off in caps lock Harry mode. Like people don't like being locked up. You did it to me all last summer. It's horrible. At this point, Dumbledore closes his eyes and buries his face in his hands. This is what he did. This is what he created because he didn't give him the information that he should have had. This sign of weakness actually just kind of makes Harry angrier because he wants Dumbledore to kind of fight back. He wants him to show him some more attitude so it justifies his feelings of anger at him as opposed to make him feel sympathy for the man. But Dumbledore lowers his hands and is just like, okay, it's time for me to tell you what I should have told you five years ago. He asks him to sit down, asks him to be patient, let him get through the whole thing. And then Harry can rage all he fucking wants, get it out of his system, whatever he needs to do, he won't stop him. Harry sits back down and just stares and waits, doesn't say anything. So he starts the story. Five years ago, when Harry first arrives at Hogwarts, not quite as healthy and happy as he would have hoped, but at least still healthy and well enough. He's not pampered, but he's better off than he would have been had Voldemort killed him. (laughs) Well, I sure hope so. We finally learn why he placed him with his horrible aunt and uncle. 
because as he admits himself, just about any wizarding family would have been happy to take Harry and raise him as a surrogate son. But he had to do something to keep Harry protected, to keep him alive, because number one, he didn't think Voldemort was gone forever. But number two, he still had followers at large who were doing things like attacking the Longbottoms. If they knew where Harry was and could get to him, Harry would not have been safe. So he had to do something to protect Harry for the future, for the time being in the future, and was probably the only person equipped to do anything about it, being that even if he won't use the same dark magics Voldemort will use, he is also very powerful and knowledgeable himself. And he's so aware of who Voldemort is that he also knows his weaknesses and he's able to use those against him. He knows that his biggest weakness is an ancient magic that he knows about but has zero respect for and decides he's going to use that against him. So it comes from the fact that his mother died to save him. And he had to put his trust in her blood, which means delivering Harry to the only remaining relative. And this is when Harry's just like, yeah, but my aunt doesn't love me. She doesn't give a damn about me. But Dumbledore points out that she still took him. May have been begrudgingly and unwillingly, but in the end, she did it. And that sealed the bond that he created, the charm using Lily's blood as base. And since it was still alive in Harry and still alive in Petunia, placing Harry there sealed that blood bond and it made him safe. But did we get any of that in the movie? Not even a little, not this or the final third of this chapter that we pushed to next week, since this is where we decided to cut it. Yep, which means we can move right into our Potter pondering, which is, how do you feel about how Dumbledore handled the scenario with Harry? The scenario, if you will. Oh, we will. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our wizarding word. This week we are going to talk about LeakyCon! Woohoo! Now, while we may not be attending LeakyCon, there's so much that you should know about it. LeakyCon will be held in Chi-Town, Chicago, for those of you who don't know. It will be happening August 4th through the 6th, so if you don't have tickets, you better hop on it. Yeah, there's still a very slight chance I'm going to be there, but probably not. (laughs) I really want to at least be there Saturday, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to swing it. Apparently, LeakyCon is trying to move away from Potter, just make it less Potter-focused and more magical world-focused. Yeah, I don't know that they're moving away from it so much as expanding it. I think that they want to have more options outside of the Potterverse, since there are some questionable things happening in the Potter realm at the moment. The fandom is very divided, so let's pull in more magical fandoms. So some of my favorite people will be in attendance. The best hobbits, Sean Astin and Elijah Wood, will be attending as guest speakers. They have a special package that I found on LeakyCon's site that is 
you get to meet Sean Astin and Elijah Wood and have interviews with them and autographs and all sorts of really cool things. And the package looks really neat. It sounds so cool and expensive, which is the downfall. Whose downfall? My downfall. (laughs) (laughs) I did also notice that the dance teacher from Game of Thrones will be in attendance, which I thought was really cool. So he's the one who teaches Arya how to fight. If you've watched Game of Thrones, he'll be there. So they're expanding on those worlds quite a bit. There were several people that I saw, and it seems like they're trying to get maybe Percy Jackson stuff into their realm as well. But we know about some big Potter people that are going to be there. Sean Biggerstaff, our beloved Oliver Wood. Which we did actually learn that he hates that nickname. And I feel bad about that, but I can't stop doing it. Nope. Ellie Darcy Alden, who played young Lily. Tom Felton, who needs no introduction. And there is a special package for Tom Felton that you can buy called Beyond the Blonde. And it is so cute. I love it. (laughs) That has very similar things to Elijah and Sean's package as well. So you get autographs. You keep talking about these three guys package and my mind is just going dirty. Well... (laughs) So Tom Felton will be in attendance. We definitely don't need to introduce him, but... If for some reason you don't know, he is the one who plays Draco Malfoy in the movies. Nazi Mun Douchebag the Second. Yes. They will also have Flick Miles, who is Hermione's stunt double. She is also a podcaster, I found out through LeakyCon's site, so maybe we should listen to her. Yeah, podcast. that'd be cool. I want to check that out. James Payton, who played Neville's dad, who is awesome. He is wonderful. If you have an opportunity to go meet him, he is very kind and he's very fun. Very active in the fandom as well. Like, he's really, really kind to all of his fans and Harry Potter fans in general. And then our favorite Quidditch player and Ron's, Stanislav Yanevsky. Who is also so nice. Yeah, so Ellen got to meet Stanislav and the guy that plays Goyle. And she said that they're really great. They are actually willing to just, like, stop and chat with us for a few minutes. Just generally solid human beings yeah. but leaky con looks like it's going to be lots of fun there's lots of stuff they still have tickets they still have beyond the blonde packages and the package to see sean astin and elijah wood is called the hero's journey Aww, rightly so perfect so those are pretty expensive looking at the prices 525 for beyond the blonde and 625 for the hero's journey They do have a Marauder's Pass that gets you weekend access and some extra special perks, and it's cheaper than those packages, but it's going on in Chicago. It's going on in a couple of weeks. It'll be loads of fun. There's lots of content creators from TikTok that are going to be there. Lots of other podcasts will be there, Harry Potter and otherwise. So Yeah, and then, of course, you have all of the vendors that make Harry Potter and other magical related merchandise that you can purchase. I've gotten some really cute things from them before. So all in all, LeakyCon is a very good time. I think it's really cool that they're expanding it. I'm going to be very bummed if I don't at least make it to one day this year, but money is very tight. If you can afford it, do it. It's worth it. Absolutely. As you may have noticed, we didn't have a Sorting Hat story this week, but if you do want us to read yours, you can send it to us through social media or email it to forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. 
We really look forward to reading them. This week's trivia question is, what does Dumbledore say ended up saving Harry from being possessed by Voldemort? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag in the end will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and Twitter at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. We have a bit of a backlog on episodes, but we hope to get caught up this summer. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on Patreon.com slash FoxSakePod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like for Fox sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, virtual hangouts, and more. And join us next week when we talk about the last part of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy and the still absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For, for Fox, Fox Sake. sake.